Hello, you're listening to The Science of Sarcasm, a podcast where we examine the worst examples of bad science in politics, pop culture, and the media. Every episode brings you a new guest from the world of science and education to discuss their work and share their pet pseudoscientific peeves. Today's guest is best known for his Foundational Falsehoods of Creationism series and his role in campaigning against attempts by the Texas Board of Education to deface science textbooks with their personal dogma. I'm talking, of course, about Aaron Ra. Hello, Aaron. How are you? How you do? I'm very well. I doubt anyone needs this, but why don't you talk about uh, your cre- foundational falsehood series? All right, all right. Um, I live in Texas, which is embroiled in a lot of uh, of anti-science, pseudoscience, and, and that sort of woo. Uh, the creationists have control of virtually every aspect of government here. Uh, the Board of Education was... Uh, was put together quite deliberately by uh, very powerful lobbyists and people who uh, who invested a heck of a lot of money to put right-wing conservative Christian young earth creationists in positions where they could supervise and control what was the educational content in our science standards as well as uh, history, social studies, health, and so on. And so what they've been trying to do over the last decade or so is uh, to make our history more white and more right-wing. They've uh, written into their health class. They have uh, abstinence-only sex education, and they have all kinds of uh, medieval lessons that they're teaching in the health classes with re- with respect to, uh, to sex ed and so on. And then with science, of course, it gets the brunt of the attack. They have, they've attacked cosmology, the origins of the universe. They've attacked... Uh, um, Climate change, they're huge climate change denialists. And of course, they object wholeheartedly to evolution and do not want it taught. They have misrepresented everything that they can. They want, uh, they don't want the theory of gravity taught as a theory. They want it taught as a law, unaware that there are actually a collection of Newtonian laws and Einstein's laws within the theory of gravity. You can't convince these people what science is. They've spent their lives objecting to it. Uh, one of the opposition there is um, some of these people are homeschooled or were. They've changed over uh, the, the leadership quite a bit recently. Uh, they have argued that public education is a tool of the devil because it doesn't enforce religious doctrine. Instead, it wants children to understand things so that they can be better in their future. So what I've tried to do is I realize that people don't read scientific materials. They're being inundated in church twice a week out here. We have uh, we have at least seven or eight mega churches in the immediate vicinity, and a mega church is one that has a sanctuary of over 4,500 seats, and we have quite a lot of them. So we're talking about stadium-sized churches, and there's a lot of them. That's just in my immediate area. If you get out of the Fort Worth side of the Metroplex, then you've got another half a dozen at least. So we have a heavy religious indoctrination atmosphere and no kind of science adherence whatsoever. And these people are short attention spans, deny what they can, and they always want a venue where they can deny it all. So I created the uh, Foundational Falsehood series uh, for people with short attention spans to address specific arguments like when they say there's no such thing as a beneficial mutation, I have a video for that. When they say there's no such thing as a transitional species, I have a video for that. When they say that the phylogenetic tree is not evident anywhere in nature, I have a video for that as well. When they argue, my favorite one, that uh, that 
evolution is just a theory, not a fact. I, of course, have a two-part video for that one. And it was intended as a way of reaching some people that might be in the position that they're in honestly, that they may believe what they do simply because they've been innocently deceived. You'll never reach the ones that are making you know, multi-millions of dollars doing this sort of thing or who get a whole lot of political clout out of doing it because you know, their integrity is not their issue. It's their income. And there's an old saying that if uh, somebody's income or salary depends on their not understanding something, they're not going to understand it. And it doesn't matter how you explain it. So I came up with this series initially as a challenge to a friend who said, you can't prove evolutionism. And uh, I said, well, just the fact that you call it evolutionism means that I've got my work cut out for me. But yes, I can do that. And let me just put a presentation together for you. And um, that that series has taken off and been uh, hugely popular. And I'm really happy about that. Yeah, one thing, you just mentioned the word evolutionism there. One thing I've noticed recently is a lot of even biologists have begun using a term that had previously only been used by creationists, which is Darwinism or Darwinist. Now, in the last few years, the only people I'd heard using that were people trying to argue that belief in evolution was a political ideology or religious belief. So they'd stuck ism at the end of Darwin's name and treated him as if he was some kind of evolutionary messiah figure. Yeah, so my problem is, uh, or I think our problem there is with Richard Dawkins. He's the only person I know of who uses that term. And I've, I've never taken the time to confront him about that. Um, I don't want to you know, strain what little relationship we have, but that uh, it, it bothers me when you use the term Darwinism in that way because you're playing into these people's hands. They don't even, it, it, Darwinism is at best, a 19th century term relating to what little Darwin knew about evolution back in his time, which would be limited to natural and sexual selection. And that's pretty much it. He hadn't really explored genetic drift. He didn't know anything about you know, genes. He predicted that they would exist, but he didn't know what they would be. And so to, to call it Darwinism is to, is to say that you, uh, you're supporting 19th century science. You know, the Mandela-Darwinian synthesis uh, following Ernst Mayer and so on uh, has advanced hugely. And then with the incorporation of Evo, Devo, and everything, it, evolution is just in huge strides over where it was in Darwin's day. Okay, now, uh, the first section we're going to do is news and nonsense. Now, which would you like first? Would you like the good news or the nonsense? That's good news. <laughs> There's one piece of what I think is good news. A okay. lot of people seem to disagree with me, but I think it's good news. Okay, let's let's do that. The headline is from the Belfast Telegraph, and you'll see why this is relevant in a minute. Party conference, teach creationism in science class, says 40% of DUP. Now, there's a reason I think that's good news. Hey, help me out here, since I'm I am Texan and therefore don't. I'm know. about to help you out. Yeah. You um, see, the DUP is the Democratic Unionist Party, who are the pretty much the most ardently religious political party on the side of uh, Protestantism in Northern Ireland. Okay. They are they were headed for several years by a man referred to as Doctor Reverend Ian Paisley. Oh boy! Uh, I, I'm his, actually—I think I'm familiar with him. 
Um, it was the very loud one. Yeah. His doctorate was even less substantial than Kent Hovind's because at least Kent Hovind wrote a check for his. <laughs> Ian Paisley's is an honorary doctorate given to him by the unaccredited Bible school Bob Jones University. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so that's just to give you an idea of where this party sits, like in relation to their American cousins. Okay. And I think that that headline is good news, because if they can only get 40% support for creationism in the most religiously motivated party in Northern Ireland, that must mean that the broader general public will have a much lower appreciation for having creationism shoved into their schools. So the fact that even the most religious party couldn't get a majority to teach religion as science is good news. Well, it may be good news in your part of the world. I have to tell you, though, that we have a higher percentage of that over the entire population of the whole country. We have, uh, we have I think it's up to now 45% of the United States as a whole believes that the universe is less than 10,000 years old and that people were created by magic in their current state less than 10,000 years ago. That's 45% of the nation. Now, that's, that's including New Hampshire and California and New York and so on. That's not talking about Texas, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, South Carolina, the the states where you know that those percentages, Louisiana and so on, are going to be much, much worse, where it's going to be well over half. Most of the people in this area, I would put it around 80%. And there's a great deal of polarization, too, so that at least in the South, if you are a Christian, you are a creationist, to large degree. There's There's not a lot of exception to that. Okay, now can I just ask you, uh, America, of course, had the Scopes Monkey Trial, as it's colloquially known, after which it was technically illegal to teach evolution. Is that correct? They did lose the trial, but in a sense, in a sense, they lost, in a sense, they won the case because they, they couldn't teach, um, it, it raised uh, awareness of the situation such that uh, things tipped in our favor ever after that. So that in like 19, uh, 1987, I think it was, they, they finally had a nationwide court case where it was illegal to teach creation. And evolution had been taught for decades. You see, what I'm wondering is, how large of a demographic is there still in America who never actually received any formal education at all with regards to evolution's role in the biological sciences. Well, when you get an education in evolution, at least in this state, and I know of many others like it, you could get the, educa the evolution instruction and walk away not knowing you've gotten it. Or 20% uh, of our teachers in this state are creationists themselves. And either won't take, won't teach it correctly, or they misrepresent it, or they skip over it entirely. And there are teachers who 
who uh, would not object to teaching evolution but aren't competent to do so because they don't understand it adequately themselves. And I don't understand where the issue with that is. I wish there was some kind of a standardized lesson that you give, like a series of films or whatever that would be approved by the National Academy of Sciences so that these are uniform and correct, and so it wouldn't matter what level of ineptitude or expertise your teachers had, they would be able to teach this. And I think that's also a good idea because another reason that teachers don't give an adequate education in this is because when you start presenting ideas on evolution, there are students in the classroom who have been trained by their evangelical collectives to disrupt the classroom in order to prevent these, quote, beliefs from be, from being spread through the class. They don't understand that you're, they're, they're trying to understand actual science. No, this threatens their belief system. And so they've been programmed, conditioned, trained to interject and interrupt and dissuade and impede all progress. And of course, if the children don't do it, if the students don't do it themselves, then the parents will object. And the parents can object on many levels. And then there's the faculty, who, because the, the faculty is largely creationist as well, when you come out and you start promoting evolution, well, then your religious beliefs come into challenge. And if they find out that you're an atheist, there's a very good chance that you're going to lose your job. Otherwise, you're just you're going to create an, a, an issue of problems on multiple levels with your own employers and with the students and with the parents if you try to teach evolution. If you're competent, if you understand the subject and you do it correctly, you're likely to cause a problem with most of the people in the school or related to the school. So it creates a very disturbing situation. My son, for example, uh, would report how his teachers dealt with it when he took evolution. They passed out a, a textbook, which the teacher would not use. Each of the students got a textbook because it was their requirement. This, the teacher then told the students that there, that uh, evolution was impossible because there was no such thing as a beneficial mutation. My son opened the book and pointed out the list of beneficial mutations that were included in the textbook. And he was sent to the office for that, for being insubordinate to the teacher. <laughs> he was actually sent to the office. Yeah. It reminds me of, I saw this picture doing the rounds online, uh, it was a note home from the teacher to a parent and the student and the teacher had begun arguing over which was longer a mile or a kilometer the teacher was insisting that the kilometer was longer wow and the student was c continuously correcting them and the teacher actually said in the note it the fact that they were right is not the point. You should have respected my authority as a teacher. <laughs> I had similar problems when I was a kid. You know, I had measles twice, for example. I mean, and uh, my my teacher, who was a uh, a creationist, uh, had issues with that because once you have measles, you can only have measles once. And I said, yeah, but I had measles and I had German measles. And she goes, well, that's not the same thing. Well, yeah, it's not quite the same. It's another species, but she didn't understand that you know you can derive different species. So uh, that was another element of issue that she had. Uh, my son's teacher also uh, mentioned at one point in some conversation that cockroaches, he, he classified cockroaches as vertebrates, obviously having no idea what the word vertebrate meant. <laughs> he thought the word vertebrate meant life form. Not kidding. Oh, my God. 
Yeah, or or macro. I'm not sure exactly what he meant. Maybe he thought it meant macroscopic life, or maybe he thought it was animal. The word animal means vertebrate. I don't know. So what, like a fungus would be a vertebrate? Yeah, there's some people that don't realize that snakes are reptiles. I think the snakes are like worms or something, or they don't understand how snakes have bones. And you have to explain it. Yeah, snakes really have bones. If you drop them, they'll break their ribs. They don't understand that snakes have ribs. I don't understand how people can be so monumentally stupid. But it's it's really impressive how stupid they can be. Uh, if if you want to take a, an interesting field trip into uh, into the depths of delusion, we could take a road trip across the southern states, you and I, and we'll just visit with some of these people in Mississippi, Alabama, and so on, and you'll be impressed. Not, not really. I've met my in-laws from Missouri. <laughs> my wife is <laughs> my wife is American. Uh, oh wow. The first time I met her in-laws, we actually went out of respect and just attended this Pentecostal church service. Now, I was raised Catholic, which meant everyone being very quiet, bowing your head, mumbling at the right points. <laughs> Apparently, being Pentecostal is not like that. <laughs> and I was surprised to see this woman actually running laps around the church, <laughs> shouting for Jesus while people were praying. And it was a bit of, it was a bit of a new experience for me. Okay. Uh, uh, getting back on track, uh, there was the nonsense section of news and nonsense. You've probably heard this before. This is, um, city seeks to jumpstart stalled Ark Encounter Park with sixty-two million junk bond offering. Whoa. Have you heard about this? I haven't. I've been so engrossed in my little projects here recently that I haven't had a time to I haven't had time to look up and see what the real world is doing. I knew that the that the Noah's Ark Park and the Creation Museum it's attached to were having problems. I knew that their attendance was down. Uh I know that um that the Creation Museum is becoming more and more a curiosity to be frequented by uh, tourist collectives composed entirely of atheists on a lark to go laugh at the place. And, of course, it's not going to be able to maintain itself that way. So they've uh, they've installed a bunch of zip lines so that you can do the... the, the I, I, what kind of amusement park kind of thing are they talking about here? They couldn't build a full-size arc? Let me just read to you from the article. Okay. A planned amusement park in Grant County featuring a life-size Noah's Ark, whatever that's going to mean, is two years and millions of dollars behind schedule, but now is getting more civic help. A $62 million bond issue being offered by the city of Williamstown. The city, which has already granted the project a 75% break in property taxes over 30 years, won't have to repay the bonds, according to the bond offering documents. That's good, experts say, because the bonds are not rated, which makes them speculative or junk bonds. The taxable bonds are backed by future revenues from the project, which organizers believe will attract more than one million visitors in the first year. While the creation, while the creation museum is already dwindling and unable to support itself. So with that in mind, and with the creation museum housing animatronic dinosaurs so now they want to create a giant boat uh which presumably would have a whole crap load of animals on it and by crap load yeah we have to bear in mind what that also entails 
I think it's funny that these collective one window. <laughs> I think it's funny that you have masses of people, whole organizations, towns, multiple cities gathered together to raise all these funds and do all these things. They have modern technology, build a boat that is not even seaworthy to be sitting on the ground, unmoving, and they can't do it. Yet one guy by himself at 600 years old with no funds and no support and no technology and no specialists and architects and engineers and so on was supposed to build this thing that would house this massive load and be completely seaworthy in a storm. But if you can believe any part of that story, I, you know, there's, there's another old saying that one miracle is as easy to believe as another. I've just read further down the article and found this. The state has also agreed to an $11 million interchange upgrade at the KY36 Williamstown exit off I-75. About 200000 has been spent on design so far. Wow. That's, that's tax money going directly into aiding religious fossilization. And it, we get this all the time. We have these huge expenditures not going to feed the poor, not going for any kind of a charity organization at all. We find that if you want charity, you really have to turn to the secular organizations because they're taking over and they're doing more to support charity causes than any of the churches are. The churches are spending tens of millions of dollars to build a 180-foot-tall steel cross on the side of the freeway. And ridiculous things like Trust that. Touchdown, like, Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. They, they, and these are the short the sorts of displays that they want because they want to encourage believers. They want to keep believers. They know that church attendance is dropping, and this is a desperate act, and it's dropping across the board. And this is not going to slow that progress. These kinds of investments are only going to improve their demise. It, it, it's going to speed everything up. What I think they should do is Ken Ham should give all the money he's raised to Peter Popov and let the prosperity <laughs> gospel take care of the rest. I think what they should do is they should try. You know, they're not building the ark full size anymore. No? Yep. They decided that they can't do the biblical proportions because they just can't raise enough money. But if you're not going to do the biblical proportions, then what's the point? Okay. I thought they were going to come up with some excuse like they couldn't find gopro wood because there's no such tree. <laughs> well, if they could build it actual size, I think it would be a lark to put a zoo in the boat. If you want to see just how futile this whole effort is, when people start trying to put in a manageable zoo in a building of those proportions... They're going to realize pretty quickly they they're not going to have room for the 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 compost and the food stores and and they're not going to have room for most of the species that we currently have even though we've already lost the bulk of the species that we had a hundred years ago. You know that um, out of seven species of tiger that existed a hundred years ago, we only have uh, I think two or three viable species left now. Just to give you an idea. So where do you put the uh, megatheriums? Where do you put the, uh, the the dinosaurs and so in Drichotheres and so on? That according to these people, these young earth creationists, there were dinosaurs on that ark. Why? 
since they all died immediately after they got off, you know, after everybody disparked? That's never made sense to me. Why do they? Why don't they use the flood nonsense to explain where the dinosaurs went? Why do they actually keep them and then kill them off immediately afterwards? Because just the, from a narrative point of view, it makes no sense. Well, because the Bible made two mistakes there. Uh, being as it was written by people that had no idea that paleofauna even existed and they therefore didn't try to account for them, the Bible says that all of the animals that have the breath of life, all of them, would come to Noah to go before the ark. And it's not even Noah's job to go out and get them, so you can't blame him for being lazy. The Bible says that this is one of those few things that God is going to do for himself rather than have somebody do for him. God brought the penguins and the koalas and so forth, all of them, to Noah. Yeah, I have to assume the marsupials would have been really pissed off when they found out they weren't getting a lift home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the uh, the thousands of miles from uh, Mesopotamia to uh, Australia without a single eucalyptus, without a single eucalyptus leaf has got to piss off a bunch of koalas. And remember, there's only two koalas. They both have to make it. <laughs> so you have all these predatory animals that come off that ark, and none of them have anything to eat. There is, I'm not sure, I think it was Conservapedia or Creation Wiki. And one, someone who was using that, someone who was editing the articles on one of those, suggested that species that were not native to Mesopotamia were then redistributed by volcano. <laughs> that God rounded them up, had them stand on the sides of volcanoes, which then erupted, flinging them to different continents. Yes, because there's no safer way to travel than to be launched into orbit by 5,000 degree magma. <laughs> I think it's just it's kind of indicative of where these bad ideas come from. People, they come up with what they think is a solution, but then they never take the next step to try and figure out what that would infer. Now, geologists, of course, when they study Mount Ararat, which is where the, the Ark is supposed to have landed, uh, Mount Ararat is a volcano. So now think about what they... What the type of flood geology that you usually hear spouted by these creationists. I mean, the, the world was supposed to be flat uh, all over the place and that we, we suddenly developed deep oceans and high mountains as a result of this whole flood thing going on. So if, if that's the case, then Noah landed on an active volcano that was going off at the time that's, I think, 17,000 feet high. And remember that the depth of the flood said that it was 15 cubits, which which equals about 22 feet. So you've got a 22-foot deep water that covers the entirety of the earth, including every mountain, which, of course, wouldn't even make it to the base of Mount Ararat. There, there's so many things that it's it, it's impossible for me to understand how flood believers believe what they do. They have to really put everything out of their minds in order to accept any of this nonsense. But they re they will readily admit, and here I've met people who brag that they can make themselves believe anything. Matter of fact, we had uh, William Jennings Bryan uh, famously said in the uh, monkey trial that you mentioned before, he said that if the Bible said that 
Jonah had swallowed the whale, he would believe it. But there is a point where you actually do have to do that when reading the Old Testament especially. Like, or even the New Testament, you look at the um, the different genealogies of Joseph. They're two completely different lists of father-to-son relationships between David and Joseph. Which neither one would matter since Joseph wasn't supposed to be Jesus' biological father anyway. Exactly. But apparently this, the inerrant word of God disagrees with itself. <laughs> In uh, some 417 different occasions. Either that or it's some Doctor Who-esque, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey thing where four <laughs> different versions of the universe have all been edited through each other. <laughs> I mean, it, start, it does actually re- resemble like the cohesion of a Stephen Moffat storyline. Yep. Now, you, uh, surprisingly, even though I am you know Texan and American and everything, I actually know who that is. I... Uh, I'm something of an Anglophile, as they say. I, I was raised on as much British culture and television as I was American, probably more so. And I could even describe myself as a Whovian, though I don't know what the term is on your side of the pond. It's the same. So which doctor is your doctor? Uh, it, mine was, for the longest time, Peter Davison. Uh, however... I liked Eccleston immediately, I don't know why, and Tenet won me over fast. I haven't watched a single episode since Tenet quit. I think mine was Tom Baker, just because he had sass. He was I, he had this, like the iconic scarf, everyone remembers him for the scarf, but he had quite a bit of sass. Yeah, and he's a very quotable atheist activist too, by the way. I think there was, what was one of his quotes, um... Stupid people and powerful people have one thing in common, and it's that they don't change their opinions to fit the facts, they change the facts to fit their opinions, which can be very uncomfortable if you happen to be one of the facts that need changing. (laughs) Yes. So what else did you have for me? Uh, Well, that was both the and the nuns. I was actually curious about... uh, Perry, how, how's he doing lately? Because I remember he had the very big prayathon after Texas kind of spontaneously combusted last year. Uh, Rick Perry is not somebody that I, I think I should feel comfortable publicly talking about. I have no kind of positive comment for that man at all. Okay. It's not. I, I mean, it, it, like so many creationists, you're in a quandary of trying to describe, trying to decide, is he phenomenally stupid, or is he, in the only other possible option, wholly and deliberately dishonest? And those are the only two ways to go. There's no good aspect. When I began complaining about Perry and and some of the things that he was doing with education and such, uh, suddenly my email began filling up with lists of things that Perry has done throughout his his 10 years or so as governor of this state. And it's phenomenal. One of the first things he did once he got power was to try to set up a toxic waste dump in a in a aquifer for drinking water. That that's just to start it off. He deregulated uh, industry, and then two of the uh, chemical plants here have ex- have ex- subsequently exploded 
neither of which would have passed the previous regulations before they were deregulated. Just to give you an idea, when we have this massive drought, of course, he has a prayer and he was the one who selected the most barking, insane young earth creationists on the school board to be the chair of that board. And he did it repeatedly to make sure that there was no kind of science-knowledgeable person in that position. He is hopefully uh, going to be replaced. Uh, he, he's decided not to run for governor again, not because he realizes that he won't win this time, because there's a, there's a, a Democratic candidate who is actually gaining in popularity because of him, he became. He started making himself look like such a snidely whiplash Disney villain that almost anybody could beat him in in uh, in election. But we we have somebody now that made herself something of a hero uh, locally, who is uh, who is a favorite to take over the governorship. However, that's not why he's that's not why he's bowing out. He's bowing out because he foolishly believes that he was going to run for president of the United States and win this time. God chose him and told him to run for president last time. Apparently, God didn't bother to tell him that he had already told two or three other people to run for president at the same time. So you've got three or four people all saying that they're they're following God's orders to run for president, and all of them lost. Now, what does that say about God? I mean, on how many levels does that say something negative about God? But it doesn't matter. Perry is going to go... not just slutty, but incompetent. <laughs> so, amazingly, Rick Perry is going to go run for president again. And I don't think it, it would matter who he ran against. If it were somehow to boil down to just him and, and Sarah Palin, he might win then. But it's going to be really hard to find somebody dumber than Rick Perry. I don't know. I've, uh, he seems there are some who are a bit more have a bit more low cunning in the GOP. But I think the, the Republicans now have the problem that even if the Tea Party is a minority within the party, they're the ones that go out for the primaries and control who gets to be on the ticket. Yeah, and when you talk about low cunning, there's this is where you get into the point is 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 he stupid? Because then if he were stupid, then maybe he would do something right once in a while just accidentally. But he never does that. <laughs> Everything he has ever done in the entirety of his time as governor has been bad. I mean it he has he has actively sought to disrupt to to uh to dis to to ban all kinds of social welfare benefits he's tried everything he can to defund public education as a whole not just some of it not just cut some of the funds he wanted to cut all of them he wanted to ban the department of education he wants there to be no public schools he wants all of the schools to be christian schools and have them all be for profit and he doesn't want to have obligatory schooling either he doesn't want to have any state-funded schools, so you either pay to go to school or you can go back to work. So I saw a study about uh, the public-private schools in America, and someone, they had put together all the figures because a lot of these people who put forward private schools as a better option, 
um, they fail to take the socio-economic status of the children and the families into account. Now, when you adjust for that, it turns out that on nearly every subject, a private school delivers no better an education than a public one. And in fact, with, with specific regards to the Christian private colleges, they deliver a worse result in the maths and science classes as compared to public schools. Yeah, my, my wife is a teacher and she uh, she's currently uh, teaching at a private school, was teaching at a public school last year. Uh, and she's drawing comparisons of that kind too. Um, while we know that the, the public schools are challenged, they're challenged largely by the administrations above them, trying to do whatever they can to impede or cripple the education system. It's stunning to me how active these people are. When I meet teachers who are Tea Party activists themselves, I have to scratch my head because the Tea Party has a, a political platform against public education. So why are you a teacher in a public school? Do you want not to have a job? Why not just quit? I, I don't understand the logic there, but there doesn't seem to be any logic there. It's a very disturbing environment to live in, actually. I would say so. One thing, do you think uh, environmental policies, especially here, I've heard more than one public representative in America state that we don't have to worry about that because Jesus will be back any time now and he's going to make everything new again. <laughs> yeah, well, one of the things that I've noticed about religion at least with uh, Christianity, is that for all their talk about you know how how atheists don't want to believe in their God because it means that they they'll have to be accountable for their sins. No, that's 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 a that's smoke and mirrors. That's an excuse. the The hardline Christian perspective is that they don't want to be accountable for their actions. So it doesn't matter what they do to the planet. They can dominate and subdue. They can be plentiful and multiply. They can use up all of the resources, or as Ann Coulter put it, the gas-guzzling SUV with the wet bar is the biblical way. They don't want to be environmentally conservative or environmentally conscious or environmentally aware. They want to deplete all resources here and now. It's all about what we want to do because we want to do it. And we don't have to be conscious of the future because there isn't one. And we don't have to be accountable for our actions because Jesus will come by and, and wipe all of the mistakes away. And we can just have as many babies we want before the Lord to bring more souls before the Lord before he comes. So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that they will destroy the planet. What do you even say to that? <laughs> well, I like what Bill Maher said about it. You know, uh, when Bill Maher said that if you are, if you, you believe in the end times, then you shouldn't be allowed on any political agency that's that's making future plans because the future doesn't concern you. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, and I, I said in one of my speeches that you know at least we're not uh, we're not destroying all of our resources like there's no tomorrow because we're not the ones who actually believe there's no tomorrow. Wait, now something you said earlier reminded me that I'm supposed to be asking you questions from our audience. Okay. So I'm gonna. These have all come in via YouTube. 
And this one is from Finite Atticus. Aaron, would you like religion abolished or merely out of public influence? Well, I, I want to answer this question with a caveat. I understand that religion is asserting as fact that which is not evidently true. And I don't see any benefit to doing that. Believe what you want, but as long as you can maintain that it is a belief, that's fine. When you start asserting it that it is a fact, that's a problem. That's when it becomes dishonest. That's when I would have to classify it as a lie. And so if you're going to be lying to gullible people, to little old ladies and children, then yes, it needs to be abolished. And that, as I said, has nothing to do with one's freedom to believe whatever they like. Go ahead and believe it. Just don't pretend that your belief equals knowledge. Okay, next question from Lloyd. What's, oh, this is a long one, I'll try to speak clearly. What's the importance of refutability of hypotheses, double-blind studies, random samples, reproducibility of results, fallacy checks in the different fields concerning interaction with the public sphere and in constructing policies, if possible, rank them? Think in short... Which aspects of the scientific method do you think should be a, are most applicable to public decisions and, if possible, put them in order? Wow, that wasn't a hard question. <laughs> I have a very highbrow audience, apparently. I don't know what they're going to make of this show. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to try to put those in, in order of importance. No. I mean, the, the purpose for all of them is the, the same thing that the religious organizations are attempting to avoid. and There's a reason that there's a rift between the science-minded and the, the believer's aspect. We want to know how accurate something is, not whether it is true or false. We want to know how accurate it is. And so there's got to be ways of measuring and testing for that. And there's a handful of rules that... If you're interested in truth, if you're interested in knowledge and understanding of what is real and factual, then you're going to want to know that something is testable to a degree, that it can be verified to some extent, somehow. Um, you can't call it truth if you can't show that it is true, for example. is one simple rule. And the people in the religious aspect who, who shout on about truth with a capital T cannot show you that anything that they hold is actually true and there are some of those that, that say well you can't prove anything on your side either what that's that's wrong we can we can't prove everything we can't prove everything 100 percent, but we can show that there's a there there and we can show that there is some accuracy and that there are some facts which back us up and that they cannot do and i, I don't want to i know i'm not adequately addressing the the question with regards to the different processes in science and how you estimate what's true and or or how true something is that the way that that question is worded i'd have to have it written out and i'd have to give it some serious contemplation more than i'm willing to give it right now okay the next question is from someone who has chosen to call themselves tomato bread orgasm well maybe it was his birth name <laughs> okay it's a it's actually a serious question which is what surprises me more <laughs> Uh, I'd like to ask him if he feels like real progress has been made in the fight against the fundamentalists trying to infect and destroy education in Texas since you started your activism, and if so, what? Well, there, yeah, there has been. If I understand the question, I probably don't, but if I understand the question, have we had an impact um, 
you know, collectively, at least since I've been involved as an activist, and I would say yes, um, I don't know how much credit I or any other activist organization can take for that. Collectively, the people on the Internet, um, the, the YouTube community has had a profound impact because there's a lot of educational advantage to these short little videos that these people are making because a lot of these people, a lot of the people that I, that I know of who, uh, who produce valuable content promoting science are really good at what they're doing. And whereas to get a, a, a formal college education requires a heck of a lot of money and a huge investment in time, and not everything that you're going to be learning is going to be relevant to this particular topic, uh, certainly not when, 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 you know, the issues about what it's the, the Board of Education is considering, you know, when they come up. But these these uh, YouTube videos and other sorts of Internet active, activism in the blogosphere and so far, the discussions that they've had have spread quite a bit of information very effectively. So where people now understand they can they can Google something in a moment. And if it was if it was left just to the scientific community, what you would get from what you could find would first require a login to you get into a scientific website and then you would get volumes of information that doesn't pertain to what you're asking not directly or necessarily and then you wouldn't be able to understand it if you did get it this is not advantageous in the environment that we live in so we have to have short messages that are very simplified and full of bright colors to hold their attention and make the lessons simple and by this method the YouTube community has, I think, been very successful uh, as far as uh, advocating you know, science education and uh, the better aspects of uh, the philosophy of the people that I that I adhere to. Okay, next question is from Maradan. Um, he would like to know if you have an opinion, I believe you alluded to her earlier, on Texas State Senator Wendy Davis, who officially filed her candidacy paperwork this month for the 2014 gubernatorial election. Uh, he'd like your opinion on whether she has a good chance of winning against Greg Abbott. Uh, well, yeah, I think she does, actually. I, I, um, I tried for months to get an opportunity to meet with her in her office, and uh, I think I made the mistake of letting them know up front that I was an atheist. And uh, I think that's probably something I shouldn't have mentioned because they don't want to be associated with people like me. But um, the fact that she represents the majority of Republican, Texas Republican women, if not a majority of Texas Republicans who are outraged at Rick Perry, and and his successor is no better, and possibly even worse, because Perry at least had some kind of charisma, where the gargoyle that's going to be coming after him doesn't. I mean, he's he's just extremely religious right wing, and represents himself as being every bit as uh, ominous as Perry was. And, uh, I, I've always found it hard to take Perry seriously because I think the first time I encountered him was when he made that awful ad about Christianity being under attack in his Brokeback Mountain costume. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and everything he does is like that. I mean, 
I don't know if you've seen the footage of him pulling out a revolver at a, at a political rally and firing it into the air. No, but I've seen several pictures of him about to eat corn dogs in rather embarrassing poses. Yeah, well, there's there's one uh, kind of sad thing where he's out jogging and he saw a coyote, which, if you're not familiar with them, they're they're a kind of prairie wolf. They're they're really small. They're they're a wild wolf-like animal that's very small, like a jackal, um, and not really a threat to people. Certainly not in urban areas. But he saw one, so he pulled his gun out of his arm holster. Who the hell wears an arm holster? So he pulls his gun out of his out of his arm essentially and and kills this canid dead as he's jogging because I guess he felt under threat. Or maybe when you've got a gun on your arm, you just don't have that many opportunities to pull it out and shoot something. Surely that would chafe when you're jogging. <laughs> I would guess, but this is the way the story was related through the media. My god, that it's like oh, that Palin documentary, Palin's Alaska where there was the dumbest moose on the face of the earth just stood there while she took shot after shot <laughs> after shot with her damn rifle. Like this is, I, she took like three shots and the damn thing didn't run. I I have to assume that they drugged that poor animal beforehand. <laughs> yeah, there's a, not that we were here to talk about meese, but uh, there was... There was one story in the media very few years ago about an Alaskan moose who approached some guy who was trying to farm, uh, and he had a lame horse, and the moose was just being friendly. Now, moose will kill you. They're enormous. They're seven feet high at the shoulder, and they're, they're very, very dangerous animals. But this one came up and was being very friendly with this guy and allowed him to attach the harness to plow his field. He had his field plowed by a wild moose. He fed the moose and let it go, and it came back and did it again. And the state of Alaska was fining him for employing wild animals. <laughs> That's just such a weird story. I mean, <laughs> if they're that easy to train, how have they not been domesticated as my... Well, as I said, they normally don't they normally don't act that way. They normally kill you. Moose are not typically friendly. I mean, they will walk through city streets in some of the northern cities. And as long as you don't, you know, do something idiotic like go up and try to feed, yeah, pet them, you know, you're probably going to be all right. Well, I think I'll just admit my ignorance. The only like experience I think I have of moose are in Disney cartoons where they all have Canadian accents. <laughs> I was uh, I I I lived several years in uh, Arizona, and some of that time I was up in the mountains in an alpine forest. And uh, I remember one time I, I had to walk through a herd of elk in order to get to my car because they were in our front yard between my house and the, I literally had to walk between elk. And that's a little eerie because they're, they're deer that are as big as horses. Now, I know here in Ireland we used to have the Irish elk, and it had been previously thought that they were hunted to extinction when humans moved up through Europe after the Ice Age. But now it turns out they lost out evolutionarily to trees. 
basically they had been operate they had been living on a tundra like environment but when the but when the ice and glaciers receded all of a sudden the whole almost the whole island of ireland became incredibly dense oak forest and these things had antlers that let me just see 2.7 meters or 9 feet from end to end so trying to get that through an oak forest would have been pretty damn hard. It's not just humans that wipe out species, it's trees. Yeah, well, uh, on that note, I need to bring up another piece of uh, recent news. Uh, I don't know where in the Americas this body was found, but I did see an article a couple of days ago about a, a body of a Native American, genetically tested to be a Native American boy, uh, dated 24,000 years old. Twenty. I thought it was... Well, I thought the previous models had put it between twelve to 16,000 with the original migrations. Exactly. So, when you're saying that you might not have had people in Ireland before that time, we had them here in America before that time. So, next question. Okay, it's from Lead Poison 101. If any of the Bible is untrue, none of it can be trusted to be true, as it is not the inerrant word of God. What approach would you use to prove this from the New Testament scriptures or arguments? If any part of the Bible is not true, then the whole of the Bible cannot be true, because it can't be the inerrant word of God. So what would I choose from the New Testament to prove that it's not the inerrant word of God? Uh, well... Aside from the contradictions, like uh, like Judas dying two different ways, and nobody can determine who owned the land he was killed on, because did he buy it with the money that the Pharisees gave him, or did the Pharisees buy it with the money that he threw back at them, and who had the money at the pocket when he died? Um, my favorite example is is not that one, and not and not a large collection of the others. It, my favorite one is where this omnipotent being somehow doesn't know when figs are in season. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, turn the other cheek and forgive thy neighbor and all like, oh, you hell, you don't have any figs? I curse this tree. (laughs) (laughs) And then there's two different accounts for what happened to the tree. There's no kind of consistency and absolutely none of it makes any sense. If there was a real omnipotent being and he were embodied in an avatar called Jesus, I think that the stories would all be completely different and the lessons would be very, very different. The Bible, were it the word of God, it wouldn't include anything that it currently does. It wouldn't advocate slavery, for example, and it wouldn't tell those ridiculous stories that it does. It wouldn't care about your foreskin on your penis. It, it wouldn't. It, there would never be a time when you would be told to go out and kill every man, woman, child, and all their farm animals. The, the you wouldn't. You wouldn't have a chosen people. You wouldn't send them to a promised land and then get rid of the people who already lived there. None of that would be the case. Just it makes him seem so petulant. That story. You can just imagine the apostles standing there, going, "Jesus, it's an inanimate object. You're an inanimate object." <laughs> Yeah, why doesn't he just, you know, if he's going to get pissed at a tree and curse it to wither, why doesn't he just, like, turn somebody into a rabbit once in a while, just just to be funny? 
Rather than corset, why not magic it into growing, like, pomelos or something? That would really true. Show a fig tree growing a pomelo. <laughs> Wouldn't it be great if Jesus could, um, I don't know, do time travel, if he could, if you could just... What if he did something really prophetic, right? Like, like spells out not just stuff that's going to happen in the future accurately with dates assigned, you know, so that it's falsifiable, so that by this period or on this date, this is going to happen. And then at something, you know, that's unambiguous. That's it, you know. Uh, you, you can, you can be vague with, uh, with, with regard to, say, like the United States obviously wouldn't be called the United States. You'd have to call it, you know, a land far west of the ocean and all that. That's fine. But, but put some dates on where we can pin it down exactly what happens and exactly what's supposed to happen and not make it an allegory to some animal with seven heads who has lead balls for eyes or whatever the hell all that nonsense was. Why not have... He did try once. He did try once. Yeah, none of you standing here, none of you standing with me right now will even taste of death before you see me coming at the right hand of power. And all of them are dead and have been dead for centuries and nearly millennia. That's what you, you if you're a prophet, you never put a timestamp on it. Harold Camping learned that a couple of years ago. Yeah, yeah, all the end times prophecies people do that. And you know that Harold Camping, by the way, I want to thank you for that, that thing that you started, uh, that, that we got so much mileage out of and had so much fun with that, uh. At the time capsule? Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was a great idea. And all the video submissions that people did, and you really called attention to this beautifully for you know, a lot of the people that, that, that I'm aware of. It seemed like most of us found this out not from the news, but we all found it out primarily actually from you. And uh, there was a number of parties going on all over the country that that were, you know, based on this end time prediction. Uh, we were at uh, we were at a camp out on the lake of a huge gathering of the uh, Dallas Fort Worth Coalition of Reason, and it was all of the different free thinking groups and so on had all gathered together at this lake to have a big old party. And we do this countdown just like it's New Year's Eve at Times Square <laughs> for for six p.m. When nothing happened, woo! <laughs> and no one is at all surprised. It's just every generation so far has assumed that it was going to be the last one, and every one of them has been wrong, and none of them have seen a pattern. Yeah, I remember pointing that out to family members when I was a little kid, when I was reading stuff from uh, from the Viking Age. You know, you, you read about the Northumbrian monks being raided by Vikings and how they're talking about how this is a sign of the end times. <laughs> you know, and it was so significant that it was going to be a thousand years since the death of Jesus. I have to say, I like the Vikings. I, I have to assume that I owe something of my heritage to them, given the red hair. That I had some rather... <laughs> Naughty ancestors that landed over here about a thousand years ago. They, they, they took all the gold and they left all the gingers. Okay. <laughs> what, uh, what's your next question? Okay, I... Let's see. This is from Uruk Engineer. I have found that by far the most heated YouTube topic with US citizens is gun control. Uh, let's see... Uh, they, this is just all quoting. They don't want to listen to facts from other countries and the benefits of gun control and insist on emotional attachment to arming the general public. 
Do you think that the land of the free's obsession with owning a gun might be linked to the tenacity with which creationism is held? Perhaps it is some vestigial pre-age of reason gene. There seems to be a gene cluster for both problems in Texas. Uh, first, uh, I'd actually first answer that. I don't think we can imply any genetic things, considering that. No, I just, I just don't. For a cultural aspect like that, I don't think it's right to infer genetics. Uh, there's a there's a number of problems with this particular controversy, and it's uh, where this person is writing this question, saying, and I wasn't able to hear the whole question again because of the audio chopping in and out, but I think I got the gist of it. Um, we did a debate of sorts, uh, myself and David Smalley of Dogma Debate. We debated DPR Jones and Thunderfoot on the issue of gun control. And at first, Thunderfoot was wanting us to look at the facts and statistics. And we pulled him up. And when it turned out that they were not in favor of his argument, he said, well, let's just put those aside and look at something else instead. So <laughs> it's I don't think that it's the people who who want to keep their guns or keep the right to have their guns. I mean, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a huge gun guy. Um, the only guns in fact that I have were inherited by my father. Uh, however, I don't like the idea that I can't buy a gun because somebody else is afraid that I'm going to do something stupid with it. I was given a, I was given a gun at, I don't know, somewhere eight, 10 years old. Uh, I think it was actually eight. Uh, I was given a gun and sent out at eight years old into the woods, expected to kill something and eat it, which I did. Uh, and I don't think that squirrel is particularly tasty. And I didn't, I didn't have a great zest for it, but I mean, this is the, this is the environment that I grew up in. Um, I was expected, we lived in wilderness areas all the time. We were expected to have guns with us often, whether it was to shoot rattlesnakes in the front porch, like, like it was the case in Arizona, or whether it was something bigger when we were in Alaska. Um, I like the ability when I was, when I was a kid, there was a, there was somebody who had a half track with mounted machine guns on a turret on the truck and it had a for sale sign in the window and i remember thinking I, you know I, I like being in america where you can go out and buy something like this and it's got <laughs> this ridiculous double-barreled recoilless rifle on the back of a of, you know it's got tank treads for back tires this is a vehicle that you can just go out and buy you know how much you want for that truck uh, that was kind of cool now i don't I'm not the, the the sort of person that would buy guns for home defense. Um, I don't criticize people for doing that. It's just not me. Uh, I could see buying any number of guns as collector's items or because I, I find some amusement in them. I like having the freedom to do so. I think the problem with guns in America is that we don't have a way of getting mental health treatment to people who obviously need it. If you look at all of the shooters in all of the schools and all and you know clock towers and that sort of things that we've had historically, uh, they've either been the products of of uh, reprehensible military background coupled with psychological disorders, or they've just been the product of psychological disorders that were well known long before these incidents took place. But the way that we have psychiatric treatment in this country 
it's virtually impossible to get somebody treated who doesn't want to be. And that's a problem. And, of course, uh, the the right-wing fundamentalists are very much against psychiatry because I think that has a direct impact on their religious beliefs. And I'm being completely serious about that. Yeah, I've always found, I don't know if it's done intentionally or if it's just something they get to benefit from, but in situations where there is a sense of vulnerability, religions tend to, these highly structured, organized religions tend to be able to capitalize on that, whether it's like the lack of a social safety net and people having to rely on church potlucks for their only decent meal during the week, whether it's like the inability to get medical care and having to like pass the plate at church in order to finance an operation. Those things tend to work in favor of the churches in that it keeps people dependent on them for things that they really should be able to expect from the society they're living in. Yes, and it doesn't have to be a a socialist, dominant, uh, or oppressive kind of society that, that people want. You know, here you have people that are really against anything that is being provided by the government because with the government you also get regulations and they don't want regulations they did they they want it they they just want to do what they want to do and i understand that but they don't want to be responsible for their actions at the same time they want to deny that responsibility and i i, I can't side with that position that's why i i endorse you know, government regulations for industry, for uh, environmental protection, which, of course, Rick Perry, again, wanted to, that was one of the other the two brands or two branches of government that he couldn't remember uh, was that he wanted to get rid of the, board, the the Department of Education and also the Environmental Protection Agency. What does that even mean, get rid of the Department of Education? I, the idea of a state existing without one is... It's so hard for me to conceive. I have to, I'll just admit my bias here. My father was a teacher. He was actually my chemistry teacher for two years, but the, how can you leave something that important outside the remit of public regulation? And Think about not this. expect it to blow up in, in your face. If you, let's say that you're, you're, you understand successful business you're a successful businessman and you understand how business works i mean you have a major corporation under your control and uh, just think that you know you you are part of the body that governs this this corporate multinational you would i think be inclined to train the people you have regularly to keep them advanced to, to keep them competitive Rather than having to to constantly bring in new people and then you know go through all of the old training, I mean, it would be better to take the work staff that you have and keep them up to date and keep them informed and keep them capable of going where your company needs to go. The United States, like any other country that wants to be competitive or successful, should be concerned with training their next generation to understand things, not just scientifically, not just to see how things work, but also they should understand history and they should understand ethics because part of the reason for learning history is not just to understand the sequence of events or what chronology in which they occurred, but when you get to things like the Magna Carta, for example, what's the reason that we learn about the Magna Carta? Because there's a point 
when the powers that be have to bow to the populace that they're governing. There has to be a matter of ethics that you learn with this as well. And a lot of the people in the Texas education system don't want you to learn that kind of ethics. They don't want you to learn that the people rule the government to any degree. Didn't they try to remove Thomas Jefferson? They did. I think I read. Yeah, yeah, and they and they wanted to, uh, they they wanted to promote Calvinism or John Calvin in his place. It's really reprehensible. Yeah, it's just so ridiculous. Okay, uh, this is a general one from Christopher D. Hawking. What can the average person do to support science education? Speak up. Uh, what can the average person do to support science education? <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's my answer. The answer oh, is. Oh, sorry. <laughs> The answer is to speak up, that that I think that the only way that we've achieved anything in Texas with regard to education, and we have, we've had, we've made big strides, but we've done it by speaking up. We've done it by being activists. We've been, we've done it by blogging and by making videos and by holding picket signs on the front porch of the, the state capitol. We've, I personally have done all these things. Well, I've been in, in, Huge uh, protests and demonstrations at various locations across the state, and when you show when you show the support just in masses of numbers of people turning up and wearing the same colored T-shirt or giving a chant, or as I said with these uh, educational videos and other ways of getting the word out in the blogosphere or on Twitter, whatever it is, speak up. This is the way that the, the populace is being heard. The media that television shows if you haven't noticed television shows are largely modeling themselves after youtube now the the governed or the controlled mass media no longer has quite the influence that it used to they're trailing behind the social networks and so on and this is where our voices are being heard and the better voices the better message is being promoted by other people who, who hear it and retweet it and so on. So this is a very good way of effecting these changes. We're not as helpless as we used to be before the Internet. Okay, I have one more question left. All right. This was actually a question submitted via video. I'm just sending you the link to it in the Skype chat. Okay. Hello, Aaron, and greetings from Dublin. Here's my question for you. To those of us on the outside looking in, Texas seems to be quite a contradictory place. On the one hand, you have um, presidents with direct lines to God, and you have governors who will talk about uh, upholding Christian values, but on the other hand will go off and be willing to execute vast numbers of people. You also have the situation with the, um, the school books and the textbooks, because I mean, that whole situation, you don't know what that is. Balanced against that, you also have thriving um, atheist-stroke-secular communities. I'm thinking about the situation in Austin in particular with atheist experience, etc. You know, people like yourself. I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about the situation on the ground there in Texas and, and how those two different communities uh, interact with each other and just how open is Texas to differing opinions. Thank you. All right. I very much like the way he put that question. Um, it's uh, it's very, very open, though. So it's going to take a moment to gather thoughts on that. 
how we interact with the the diehard religious right who are constantly contradicting each other. I mean, while Perry was doing his best to make abortions across the board illegal for everyone across the state, regardless of what, what stage the, pre- the, the pregnancy was in, while he was doing that and claiming that he was doing it uh, in defense of women and uh, in support, <laughs> yeah, he actually said that, uh, in, uh, in promoting their health care uh, was another one that he said, and in defense of human life, on the same day that he made that announcement, he signed the death order for his 500th death row inmate um, this last term, and it was a woman. So now Perry has personally signed the death order for 500 people as of this last summer. While he's Wait, making 500 that. is just Perry. Or That's Perry it? by himself. Oh, I thought that was Texas in its history. No, <laughs> Perry alone. <laughs> God. <laughs> oh my God! How long have you been that's yeah. a problem. Someone <laughs> needs to have an intervention with him. <laughs> yeah, one would hope. So sit him down and say, Rick, we, we think you have a problem. You seem to enjoy this a bit too much. Yeah, and we do have an awful lot of the Alex Jones types here. I mean, you talk about how he mentioned the atheist experience. It was it was a funny thing. Are you familiar with Alex Jones? Yes. Uh, Alex Jones broadcast for a long time he broadcast out of the same tiny little studio that the atheist experience did just on a different day and i went into that place laughing to myself that it's it's funny to me that that matt dillahunty and alex jones both walk through the same hall every week i did not know that yeah how they they don't anymore they each have separate studios now but they were sharing one and it was just it's just laughable that situation now how they interact um it is and it's it shows up more i think living in texas being part of that community i see an awful lot of humanitarian efforts i see humanism being promoted an awful lot by the atheist community by the secular groups there are a lot of christians who work with the the atheist communities and the secular charities and those those sorts of activists there's there, there's actually a lot of people who just want to do good who happen to be christian and they want to do good things and they're working with atheist communities and doing that now if you're an atheist and you want to do good you are not going to turn to the uh, the hagies and the uh, the the copelands and people of that sort the the evangelists that we have here and the, the large bulk of the religious communities out here are not the way to go if you want to achieve any kind of good in this world um we uh the, we have jeffress for example i mean these people are promoting themselves and they're promoting boycotting of businesses and they are promoting their, their hate groups you know they if you have noticed that all the organizations that have the word family in their name tend to be or not all of them but i mean there's a lot of them that have the word family in their name you you could almost use that as an indicative of whether they are a hate group whether they're you know anti-gay rights as is most of the cases yeah it's kind of like when a country has the phrase people's republic in its name 
And when you have the word liberty in your name, yeah, yeah, you're you're very <laughs> much of you're very much about restricting other people's liberties. You know, that's that's the organization. If you have liberty in your name, then that's usually what that organization is about. So you have the the right wing diehard fundamentalist hate groups, and they're being very polarized. I mean, it, it, it's one thing I, I I find amusing about this environment: moderate, decent, good hearted people who happen to be Christian tend to be more supportive of the atheist communities than and more critical of the hardline religious side. And they're just being divided. It's being it's it's where they find themselves turning to the atheists and turning to the secular groups more and more and away from these violent people that are talking about you know, putting the homosexuals in in camps behind cyclone fencing and exporting atheists to other countries, and you know, we don't want you, we don't need you. This is the you know the John Hagee kind of populace. Yeah, the people who want to put homosexuals, male and female homosexuals, in different camps to stop them from breeding. <laughs> exactly. Who say that? Who? who Get on the you know, national public radio and 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 say that all of the the the, the Nazis were atheists and that uh, it, that the Hitler hired only homosexuals because they were more cruel than than heterosexual people and and you get uh, yeah Fisher you know, I think is it Brian Fisher I forget his name yeah. yeah who who just spews whatever ridiculous hateful idiocy happens to fall out of his face he knows there's not going to have to be any accountability. Everything he says is wrong, but it doesn't matter because somebody in the, in the sanctity of a single wide trailer is going to believe him. <laughs> it just when you mentioned uh, the people turning more and walking more with the atheist groups in the area, I know of two examples. Uh, I know that the ACA, who run the non-profits and the atheist experience. I believe they're actually raising money to sponsor some families' Christmases in Austin. And and uh, David, from the Dogma Debate that you regularly contribute on, he's actually, uh, after the government shutdown, he came across an old folks' home that were going through major financial difficulties because their funding had been cut off and there was no money to actually feed these seniors. And he has now, he has raised, was I think it's in the, is it's in the thousands now? He informed me yesterday that we've raised enough money to feed every one of those elderly people for the entirety of 2014. Wow, I know he had announced on the most recent episode that aired that they were up to nine months worth, so obviously everybody kind of must have just rallied around and decided let's give them a full year. Yeah. Now think about what this is what one guy with a a podcast can do. What if you're a televangelist bringing in enough money that you can spend a hundred and eighty million dollars? Or no, excuse me. However many millions it was, I forget how many millions it was that went into building that hundred and eighty foot cross, you know, off off the freeway in Houston. Or when you have to get the government to give you for free sixty million dollars so that you can build a zoo that won't float. 
yeah where where is the the charity mind in that so while I, i'm not saying that, that that if you're religious that makes you unreasonable and certainly we know that if you're if you're atheist that does not mean that you are reasonable but if you are reasonable you're not going to side with the hardline right wing and you are going if you're charitable and you're really compassionate to care about people you are more likely to work with people like david smalley and matt dillahunty than you are with uh jeffress and copeland and hagee and so on and there's a great deal of polarization in this community that i'm i'm personally happy to see because they are largely the reason that Christianity is plummeting in their numbers. I see that the Freedom From Religion Foundation are actually involved in a court case right now to get churches to actually, not to pay taxes, but just to provide the IRS with their books. Yeah, now, you know, now think about that. They, they don't have any transparency at all. You give them all this money, they don't have to report anything the freedom from religion foundation and all the other types of non-profits that are not churches while they do get the tax breaks because they're doing a public service they do still have to declare and show their incomes and reveal donations over five thousand dollars they have to declare all that to the irs and make it available for public perusal okay so what happens every time that happens i mean we, we've seen what happens when uh, when ray comforts financial information uh, got out and somebody posted a beautiful video about it where he goes and itemizes everything that Ray Comfort is doing. While Ray Comfort is saying that he's promoting all these charities, he's actually paying everybody in his household, every one of his family members, over $100,000 each. And zip is going to the charities. I mean, any number of evangelists you can point to, and you're probably going to find some orphanage in Haiti or someplace that doesn't really exist that supposedly got the bulk of these funds. And when you start asking them to show what the money is being spent on, well, that's when you're going to find out that the leader of the, you know, the the latest group who is hating homosexuals actually hired a personal assistant from Rent-A-Boy in Brazil. And who's going to want to, you know, divulge that information? He's carrying the bags, Aaron. <laughs> the pastor had a bad back. <laughs> uh, yeah, so again, I see the religions as being as corrupt as they are simply because they are doing everything they can to skirt accountability. And you have political factions that are doing exactly the same thing with the same motivation, whether they're religious or not. Um, and I, obviously, I, I want people to be responsible for their actions. I want to, I want people to realize that the, the world will continue even after you're dead. And the condition that you leave it in matters. And if you have children that you're leaving behind, then something needs to be done to, you know, to protect or support them. And so maybe you shouldn't choose up, maybe you shouldn't, you know, use up all of the oil reserves that we have right now and to say the hell with future you know, generations but that's exactly what people are doing is they're, they're saying there is no future jesus is going to come and wipe it away so it doesn't matter what we do another instance i just remembered was pat robertson it was one of uh, there was a genocidal campaign taking place in africa and pat robertson raised a load of money to go and send aid to the people who had been displaced by this conflict. And they, his organization owned its own planes. They used some of the money to buy those planes. 
and the pilots have since, some of the pilots have since come out and said 90% of the time they were in Africa, they were actually doing runs to Pat Robertson's diamond mines, which he has on the continent. Yeah, yeah, and so Robertson is a big contributor to the problem. I, re- I remember when that report came out that instead of sending aid, he was sending mining equipment. And, you know, you talk about how there's a passage in the Bible that says, you know, that that the fool saith in his heart there is no God, that they are all corrupt and there is none among them who does any good. And then if you look at Warren Buffett and you, you look at Bill Gates and you look at the billions of dollars that both of these men have donated to charity and you look at Pat Robertson, who has donated zero. This is the kind of polarization we're seeing in the community. I know people will... I don't know, some of my listeners will think that this probably isn't as on topic as it is, but I think this is on topic with regards to good governments because this only happens because they've gotten, like, carte blanche to do what they want. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's without even bringing up, you know, the, the molestation of your people in your congregation and their kids and so on. Uh, yeah, I remember when, oh, what was his name? Is it Mike Huckabee? He had come out, I remember he tweeted, um, it was after one of the shootings, I think it was Sandy Hook, and he'd either said on his show or tweeted that that was what happened if you didn't allow God into schools. <laughs> and I sent a tweet straight back to him saying, yeah, because he's, cause he's really looked out for all those older boys, didn't he? <laughs> Okay. Well, do you have anything else for me, sir? I think we have gone on quite a bit. I was originally planning this to be an hour show. I think I've got more than enough material now. <laughs> yeah, if I ever find myself in Dublin again, yeah, it'd uh, like to... I will try. I'm sorry I missed you that time. But I will certainly try to make myself available. Things are a lot less hectic now than they were then. Okay. Okay, well, that's all we have time for on this episode. Uh, but before we go, Aaron, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find out more about the work you're doing and how they can follow you online? Well, the easiest way is my YouTube channel, Aaron Raw. Uh, also, my webpage, uh, com. That's A-R-O-N-R-A.com. And uh, I'm doing what I can to be, uh, serve adequately as a Texas State Director of American Atheists, a position I'm very happy with. And... Uh, that, I think, is uh, it for right now. Okay, thanks again, Aaron, and thank you all for listening. Today's episode was brought to you by Chiropractic Medicine. It was invented as a religion by a guy who learned it from a ghost. There's no punchline coming. That's what actually happened. Chiropractic Medicine. Seriously. <laughs> oh, did you know that story, Aaron? No, but I know a chiropractor. <laughs> Oh, well, just actually before we go, I'll fill, I'll fill everyone in on that. Like, it was invented by a guy called Didi Palmer, originally born in Canada, moved down to the U.S. northeast of the United States. He was first a magnet healer. He would wave his magnets over people and tell them he was realigning their energies. And he also got big into spiritualism, which was popular at the time, where people would basically go into the tents and have this early version of what John Edwards and Sylvia Brown used to do. 
I uh, don't know, maybe John Edwards is going to be talking to Sylvia at some point in the near future. <laughs> but apparently at one of these meetings, he was in a seance, and he got in contact with a Dr. Jim Atkinson, who was dead. And it was Dr. Jim Atkinson, the ghost, who came up with the idea that all illnesses can be traced to misalignments of the joints, mostly of the spine, but also in the lesser joints, and that they could all be treated with proper manipulation. And that was where chiropractic came from. Yeah. In the first sec- the first skeptics conference that I went to in Las Vegas, I got a chance to meet Simon Singh. Uh, if you're not familiar, you're familiar with him, right? I am, and I think a lot of people will be familiar with the fact that he got famously sued by the British Chiropractic Association. (laughs) And then given, a, as I understand it, a multi-million dollar gag order not to talk about it. Which says more than a a ruling would have. I don't, I think that really, really did backfire on the chiropractic, because now there's a situation where if they ever try to sue anyone, People like Simon Singh and Ben Goldacre and all the other and Ed Ed Ernst and all these other incredibly famous, well-respected scientists and doctors will be there to fundraise for whoever the hell you're suing. <laughs> they pissed off the scientific community so much that they've now like evolved this new immune response to their particular line of legal bullshit. <laughs> Well, I think that really is it for now. So, Aaron, thanks very much for coming on. All right. Thank you, sir. And thank you all for listening, too. And I will talk to you again real soon. Good night, everyone.